Welcome to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws, a show about all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen. Good morning, Poetry Outlaws. Today we have another listener's choice poem, and this is from a listener who gave us that wonderful question uh, last week or the week before um, about poetry as a, a substance that changes your perceptions of the world akin to possibly uh, other mood-altering um, matters such as alcohol and drugs, and maybe even more so uh, romance, the muse, that particular um, passion that takes you out of yourself and drives you to commit the act of poetry. So this is um, for Maya. She wants to, oh, she wants me to read the poem by John Ashbery that is known as it's known as he. I always want to call it him. It's known as he. And it comes from his selected poems. And I don't have this particular selected poems. And I am obsessed with John Ashbery and I collect most of his books. So I'm not 100% sure if this was one of the new poems in one of his selected poems. He has quite a lot of selected poems that came out every few years after, you know, he'd had three or four or five or six um, individual collections. So um, this is not a poem that I was familiar with, and I'm excited to read it and talk a little bit about it. Um, Ashbury was infamous. Uh, he died in 2017. He was infamous for um, not wanting to explain or articulate his poems um, and that being basically besides the point to him, um, I'm currently reading his five unfinished longer poems, which came out um, uh, four years after he died. And his unfinishedness, his um, raggedness, his wild elusivity, his um, lungings and leapings, uh, his wry sense of you know, deadpan humor, um, and his obliqueness, his mystery, all those things keep me returning to read him. So I thought I'd start with, um, from Lit Hub, we have an essay called The Pleasures of John Ashbery's Difficult Poetry. And uh, so this is some of his anecdotes about the difficulty of, or his disinterest in describing his work um, encompassed by parts of this um, essay. So the writer says, Ashbury goes on to insist that he couldn't spill the beans about his poetry, even if he wanted to. He frames the reason why this is so in two ways. First, as an impossibility arising from the work itself and his relationship to it as author. I feel, he says, that my poetry is the explanation. The explanation of what? Of my thought, whatever that is. As I see it, my thought is both poetry and the attempt to explain that poetry. The two cannot be disentangled. Next, he describes this as a personal deficiency. On occasions when I have tried to discuss the meanings of my poems, he says, I have found that I was inventing plausible-sounding ones which I knew to be untrue. So the way that 
you know, we've been compelled by our academic system from elementary on up to, you know, graduate studies to believe that a poem is not worthy in a sense if you can't unpack it and, and disgorge its meaning. So he resists that. And uh, both as possibly a lack in him, but also as the reality, uh, the core truth of poetry. So as an illustration of these claims, he offers this anecdote. Unfortunately, I'm not very good at explaining my work. I once tried to do this in a question and answer period with some students of my friend Richard Howard, after which he told me they wanted the key to your poetry, but you presented them with a new set of locks. Here, as in Ashbury's description of his reputation as a writer of hermetic poetry, his work's difficulty is framed as impenetrability, as inaccessibility. It withholds its meaning from the reader. But the fact that the work is difficult does not mean that it is inaccessible, not if we try to see open doors where Howard students saw keyholes. Rather than suspect Ashbury of deliberately concealing his poem's true meaning, we might begin from the premise that Ashbury left doors open everywhere in the particular modes of strangeness he chose. So that's interesting. So how can we see these keyholes as open doors? So let's look at the poem he and, and find a few uh, doors into it, and then I will recite it and then let it linger in your mind. So it's a poem that is heavily dominated by anaphora. We have he, the pronoun, starting every single line. So right away, you know, you know that uh, the poet is talking about uh, this male speaker, this persona, this character, that it seems in the poem he's trying to summarize. Uh, we all know the impossibility of summarizing any particular human being. And in this poem, which is in um, four-line stanzas, uh, without any particular end rhyme or... Mm, there's always internal resonance, but... Ashbury's priority was often the content in its core abstraction that nonetheless was contained in particulars. So how about that uh, oblique concept? So I think there's so many divergent descriptors here of what the man does and what he is. So we have, after the pronoun, we have a verb all the time. It's either, you know, he is, the, the verb form of be, or we have the he hears, he waltzes, he eats, he breathes. And how does this sum him up? It can't. It, it, it can't possibly. So we're always left in that, you know, uh, that aloofness, that ineffability, uh, that is the real truth of being human. And um, Ashbury, he, of course, read uh, diverse texts. He loved to watch all kinds of, of films and um, see opera. And we have these allusions and references in here to the opera Carmen. We have uh, a man being described that he as the White Cliffs of Dover, uh, which are, yes, White Cliffs that were kind of the beacon or sinusure uh, during the wars in England. And then we have... If we go to the second part, um, it's actually all one part, but it's about um, 12 or 14 uh, stanzas. Um, so we have um, 
places like Utah and New York. Uh, we have going back to the ancient past, the Etruscans, the last stanza. He prevented the murder of Mistingay in Mexico. We go back to a uh, society lady and, and dancer um, and her her survival. Uh, and then, you know, you have kind of um, curious uh, references to uh, abortions and uh, some strange name, liver lips. Um, he has parts that are in quotations and parts that are not. And you wonder whether he's quoting directly from some other source, which he loved to do. He loved to uh, commingle fragments and references and allusions from, from what he was reading and just put it in randomly. Or sometimes he would take bits from other poems he'd written that didn't quite work and he'd put them in a new poem and he'd put them in quotations. So that that's definitely part of his um, mysteriousness. So I think that, you know, we have, uh, we have some little doors there and I'm content personally to leave it at that and just read John Ashbery's amazing poem, He. Thanks, Maya. He. He cuts down the lakes so they appear straight. He smiles at his feet in their tired mules. He turns up the music much louder he takes down the Vaseline from the pantry shelf. He is the capricious smile behind the colored bottles. He eats not lest the poor want some. He breathes of attitudes the pincy altitudes. He indeed is the white cliffs of Dover. He knows that his neck is frozen. He snorts in the veil of dim wolves. He writes to say, if ever you visit this island, he'll grow you back to your childhood. He is a liar behind the hedge. He grew one morning out of candor. He is his own consolation prize. He has had his eye on you from the beginning. He hears the wheat cut down with a smile. He waltzes tragically on the spitting housetops. He is never near. What you need, he cancels with the air of one making a salad. He is always the last to know. He is strength, you once said, was your bonnet. He has appeared in Carmen. He is after us. If you decide he is important, it will get you nowhere. He is a source of much bitter reflection. He used to be pretty for a rat. He is now over proud of his Etruscan appearance. He walks in his sleep into your life. He is worth knowing only for the children he has reared as savages in Utah. He helps his mother take in the clothesline. He is unforgettable as a shooting star. He is known as Liverlips. He will tell you he has had a bad time of it. He will try to pretend his precedent is a temptress. He looks terrible on the stairs. He cuts himself on what he eats. He was last seen flying to New York. He was handing out cards which read, He wears a question in his left eye. He dislikes the police but will associate with them. He will demand something not on the menu. He is invisible to the eyes of beauty and culture. He prevented the murder of Mistingay in Mexico. He has a knack for abortions. If you see he is following you, forget him immediately. He is dangerous, even though asleep and unarmed. You've been listening to Miss Lyric's Poetry Outlaws. Stay fierce, word musicians.